Kevin Markwick. delay in 1996 would you believe can't quite believe that myself here we go then here we go here we go okay the cold's gone 
The nose is, uh, the nasal passages are clear. Me, 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 me. So let's hope we get it right this week. Thank you, Adrian, for another uh, two hours of soul grooviness. And tonight, uh, we've got music from Tegan and Sarah, Broken Bells, Screaming Jay Hawkins, Tiny Tim, Fiona Apple, Tom Waits, and of course, The Velvet Underground. Film music from Gravity, again, uh, Blue Jasmine, and a short tribute to Hal Needham, who, uh, who also died this week. Cheney mops up 1983, and the time trunks unpeel in 1984, which yields much better things, thankfully. So... All things being equal. Gremlins keeping away. Loosen your soester, pull up a lifeboat, relax and enjoy the show. Sarah walking with a ghost. 
Now, uh, it would be good if you got in touch with the show. Uh, you can do that via Twitter, at Kevin Markwick. You can hit me up on my Facebook page, the show's Facebook page, The Kevin Markwick Show. Uh, you can email us here at the studio, um, studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk. You can even text us. Uh, start your message with the word Uckfield, then text to 80010. Uh, any number of ways. Please get in touch. Always good to hear from you. And if you're on the podcast as well, please get in touch. Well, you're not on the podcast. You're listening to the podcast. You understand the difference? Okay. Here's, um, so but yes, please get in touch. Here's Broken Bells. <laughs> Broken Bells, the ghost inside. Broken Bells being the uh, project uh, Brian Burton, uh, who's actually better known as Danger Mouse, 
And James Mercer, the lead vocalist of uh, The Shins, of course, um, based in Los Angeles in California. Moving right on, uh, break after Screamy Jay Hawkins. Foggy hill rocks with a crazy little demon blowing his top. Fire in his eyes and smoke from his head. You gotta be real cool to hear the words he said. He did a For the one he loves, so he had death on his mind Cause my demon let him go Going around through the world till he understand his pain Somebody help him get his demon home again He did a Jay Hawkins, uh, Little Demon. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're dull. When you're strange. Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange People are strange When you're a stranger Faces look ugly Strange when you're 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 strange when you
the unique Tiny Tim. People Are Strange cover of the Doors song, of course. Uh, we've got a couple more to go before we hit the uh, 90 degree turn that is the film part of the show. A couple more tracks that are definitely worth hanging in for. Uh, this is Dark Water by Dale Earnhardt. There you go. That's uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. Um, they're out of uh, Detroit, Michigan. It's a kind of joke. Dale Earnhardt is a famous uh, racing car driver, and Dale Hart Jr. is a famous racing car driver, and these guys are Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. Get it? Yeah. Nevertheless, the music's quite good. Now, this is very good. This is very interesting. This is called A House of Many Ghosts uh, by Brother Tiger. Yes, 
Some say the place is haunted, but you don't believe in such myths.
lot. A House of Many Ghosts, uh, Brother Tiger. I don't know much about them, except that that's the name of John Jagos, is the sole member of the band. And uh, that's on Mush Records. So if you want to seek it out, that's where you need to find it. Uh, we've got the film part of the show coming up now, which will be good. We've got, um, in fact, actually, with the, with the 80s thing, we haven't uh, fit so much in that I'm not fitting as much in as I, as I might like. So uh, maybe for the next season, we'll jiggle it about again. You'd like to see me jiggle it about, wouldn't you? Um, so I've got a few tracks from uh, films. Uh, we've got uh, Cheney, who kind of mops up the 1983. I, think, I mean, basically he's playing catch-up because he was two weeks late coming on the show. That's actually what it amounts to, if he's really honest with himself. Uh, and then we move into the 1984 section of the show, which doesn't mean that I'm watching you. I'm just talking about uh, the films that were hits in 1984, which, believe me, were much better than the hits from 1983. So uh, we'll have one of these, and then we'll be back with the filmy part of the show. So here we are at the film part of the show, finally. Uh, as I will keep banging on, don't forget to get in touch at Kevin Markwick on Twitter. Email the studio, studio at outfieldfm.co.uk. Uh, you can even go onto the website, actually, the um, outfieldfm.co.uk website, and you can see the back of my head. And I'm going to wave at you. Oh, the lag seems to be uh, spoiling that trick. But you can actually interact with the show. You can type a message in and uh you know abuse me that way if you like so uh what i'm going to do now is play you some of stephen price's music from gravity in fact i'm going to play exactly the same track i played you three weeks ago because it's so marvelous it finally arrives in the uk on thursday uh i'm going to be showing it and i can't urge you enough to go and see it in the cinema this um i mean obviously i'm biased but if ever there was a film that needed to be in the cinema and if ever there was a film that uh, justifies the invention of cinema almost on its own. It's this one, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney floating around in space. Uh, and this is the track called Gravity.
Oh, amazing stuff. Uh, Stephen Price's score for Gravity, which opens in the UK on Thursday. Now, I've only seen it. I've seen it once, and uh, it was amazing. And I just, I just hope, I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. I just hope it's not one of those films like um, Braveheart, where the first time you see it, you go, wow, that's amazing. And then the second time, you go, eh, it's not bad. And then by the third time, you're like, oh... Actually, it was a load of old codswallop, wasn't it? I don't think that's going to be the case with Gravity, but I'm looking forward to seeing it again at the weekend just to make sure that my reaction is as uh, uh, as jaw-dropped as it was the first time. Now, the other thing I wanted to do was to play you some music from Le Weekend. It's a score by Jeremy Sams, and I can't find it anywhere. I just cannot find it. Um, he seems to see, keep himself quite hidden. He's done uh, a score before, though, for um, your man. <laughs> he, oh, you know him. What's directed the weekend? And uh, also Enduring Love, which is the piece of music I'm going to play for you now. And um, Notting Hill and all of that stuff. And Venus and... oh. Really, it's gone straight out of my head. I'm sorry, everyone. If this show continues for many years to come, that's only going to get worse. But in the meantime, uh, just as a sort of um, uh, a sop, really, because I wanted to play some of his music and I can't find the music from The Weeknd, which is a great movie, by the way, uh, I'm going to play this lovely little cue from Enduring Love. Enduring Love, part of the score for the film of the same name, based on the book, of course, by Ian McEwan and directed by Roger Michel. Ah, don't you love the internets? I mean, really. Um, and that was by Jeremy Sams. I don't know a lot about him. I mean, his music's wonderful and lovely. Right, it's time now for Mr Cheney, and this is a really good one, people, so listen up. Hello. I'm back like a seagull chasing Kevin's show trawler snapping up a few of the films that he had to throw back from 1983. One ship that Kevin did get the chance to mention 
belonged to Federico Fellini. And the Ship Sailed On is a peculiar movie where a boat of opera singers sail to an island to lay a deceased colleague to rest, only to run up against the first skirmishes of the Great War. A fin de siècle portrait, the film addresses the advent of modernity, including a loony sequence in which the singers compete to sing higher and longer in the noisy industrial engine room of the ship. Here's the Titanic-like conclusion of the movie, with the assembled company singing Verdi on the deck. While the European aristocracy of filmmaking looked back wistfully at a vanishing past, in this country there were a pair of films that spoke of the present. Educating Rita updated Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion to contemporary Liverpool, where Julie Walters is determined to better herself with an English degree. Even further north, local hero brings a Texan executive to Scotland to close an oil deal. Bill Forsyth's fairy tale strips back the American's pretensions until he finds himself at home in the remote British community he's joined. The music in the films belongs to the characters. English composer David Henschel's synthesised score shadows the immiscible chalk-and-cheese characters of Educating Rita, and Marla underscores the cameo appearances of the Jewish Maureen Lipman. Across the border, local hero midwived a hugely successful soundtrack by Scots-born Mark Knopfler. You can hear Knopfler following the melodic curls of Celtic pipe music with his guitar and using the amplified aesthetic to capture the expansiveness of the Scottish coast.
While some established figures of film were taking a long, hard look at all of us in 1983, the year also saw a trio of important springboard releases for actors who would come to dominate the box office for the rest of the decade. Kevin might be forgiven for skating over BMX bandits, a picture successful simply for featuring the bikes which had made the chase at the end of E.T. so exciting, but it did introduce the teenage Nicole Kidman. Matthew Broderick brought together the fads of computer games and the Cold War in the effective teenage thrill of war games. But the big breakout picture was risky business. Tom Cruise takes off his trousers and tears up his parents' living room to Bill Zeger before absolving himself with the twin American creeds of sex and entrepreneurialism. Goodbye. Just take those old records off the shelf I said listen to them by myself Today's music ain't got the same soul I like that old time of rock and roll Don't try to take me to a disco You'll never even get me out on the floor In ten minutes I'll be late for the door I like that old time of rock and roll Still like that old time of rock and roll That kind of music just soothes the soul I reminisce about the days of old With that old time of rock and roll Seeger, the old-time rock and roll. 
Uh, as he used famously, um, Tom Cruise in his pants in Risky Business. Great stuff. Thank you, Cheney. You had me at Local Hero, frankly. It's only, um, I don't know, is it my top ten? Almost certainly, yes. Uh, so we need to do a break because we're going to run out of time, as usual. And when we come back, um, we're going to talk about Hal Needham. Oh, well, that's marvellous. Jeremy Sams just followed me on Twitter. I'm a bit chuffed about that. Uh, now, what was I going to talk about? Hal Needham, who died last week. Uh, he was an interesting kind of filmmaker. He was an extra and a stuntman for years and years and years. And then in the late 70s, he became a director. And he made a very specific kind of, uh, well, car-based, stunt-based movie, which was hugely popular. Uh, Smoking the Bandit, there were a few of those. And, of course, the Cannonball Run pictures. And they kind of... Um, what they did, what they were anti-establishment, really. If you watch them, I, I I was watching a bit of Cannonball Run last night just to catch up, and it's all about sticking it to the man. That's the most important thing, preferably in a Ferrari or something. And they're all good old boys just having a laugh, and you know it's kind of what gave rise to um, Dukes of Hazard as well, really. I mean, you know, it's not going to change any lives, but was uh, a tremendous amount of fun. But actually, I think his best film, and probably because it was about a stuntman, was Hooper. Um, in 1978, uh, starring Burt Reynolds, of course, who seemed to be in most of his pictures, if not all of them. And uh, it had an agreeable kind of a song called Ain't Nothing Like the Life of a Hollywood Stuntman by the improbably named Bent Miggan, which is probably a joke. He always is the bad guy who gets it in the end. He's out there stopping horses or falling off a train. You never want a gunfight, squabble or a brawl For being such a loser, Hooper's really got it all mm, You can toss him, blast him, flip him and turn him Shoot him, hang him, bury him, burn him Chances are, Hooper's back for more Run him out, cross the ground Take a truck, run him down He ain't easy, he's up and gone You can hit him, kick him, generally abuse him Set him on fire, we'll abuse him Heaven knows he won't hold a grudge He'll look you in the eye And tell you with a smile There ain't nothing like the life of a Hollywood stuntman Used to tell him he ought to settle down, find a steady woman, land a job in town. You don't actually need too much of that, do you? <laughs> Never seemed to. Uh, it probably gave rise to that Lee Majors thing as well, didn't it? What was that called? Uh, the Stump Man? The Fall the full Guy? That was it. Uh, okay, what was the other thing I wanted to play you? Uh, it's about um, Blue Jasmine is on its way out of the cinemas now. Well, it'll still be around in a few, but we're, we're saying goodbye to it on Thursday. Woody Allen's uh, now most successful film in the UK. Uh, and quite rightly, too, it's a wonderful piece of work. Uh, and, of course, inevitably with... Um, Woody Allen, what you also get is a fantastic jazz soundtrack, and this features it's Back of Town Blues from Louis Armstrong.
This will take us into the news, and we'll be back with 1984. Okay, here we are. Shoulder pads straightened. Braces twanged. 
1984. Sees the arrival of the first Mac computer. Winter Olympics are in Sarajevo. And the country goes Torval and Dean mad. Summer Olympics are in Los Angeles, I seem to remember. It's like the bloke with the thing, you know, the hover thing, you know, the jetpack. The year-long coal strike starts in the UK and the AIDS virus is discovered. Tommy Cooper literally dies on stage. O-levels and GCEs are replaced by GCSEs. I didn't get any of them. Call them what you like, I didn't get any. Too busy going to the blinking cinema. Uh, Virgin Atlantic makes its inaugural flight uh, across the Atlantic, presumably. Ronald Reagan jokes about bombing Russia and the space shuttle Discovery makes its maiden voyage. Is this too much context? I don't know. Probably get more film stuff in. I don't keep banging on about this. Uh, Robert Maxwell, Daily Mirror, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the IRA bomb, the Grand Hotel in Brighton, British Telecom... <laughs> Books published this year include uh, Empire of the Sun by J.G. Ballard and Ian Banks' The Wasp Factory. On telly, the first episode of Crime Watch is aired and the most depressing TV drama ever made, Threads, is shown, uh, reminding, us, reminding us that we live under the imminent threat of nuclear catastrophe and what it would be like to survive it. In the charts, there were 99 red balloons and Frankie went to Hollywood. I'm going to shorten this lot next week, trust me. Uh, the best-selling single was Do They Know It's Christmas and the top-selling album was uh, Can't Slow Down by Lionel Richie. The UK indie chart was dominated by The Smiths and oddly Agadoo by Black Lace. Guess which one I bought. Pearly Dew Drop Drops was... <laughs> they had some great titles, didn't they? Bum Bum Drop Drops Pur Pur Tufty Bum Fluff was a number one on the indie chart in May for the Cocteau Twins. And at the movies, there was a bit more to get our teeth into after the debacle of 1983. We're actually starting to get more data now. Uh, the, the site I'm using has got more data. Um, and actually, I was able to access the top 15 this week, so... Bubbly God debate. Were Scarface... Say hello to my little friend... De Palmer's kind of overblown yet kind of, I don't know, was it genius? Kind of was in a way. Uh, film with Al Pacino, The Woman in Red, and Neil Jordan's uh, brilliant The Company of Wolves, which you don't see so much now. They used to show it quite a bit on TV, but I haven't seen it in a while. We liked that one. So at number 10, which is what you're hearing now, was the film that launched Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah as, a major, as major stars and probably launched Ron Howard as a major director. Splash was a high-concept film about a man who falls in love with a mermaid. Perfectly plausible. 
It grossed £2.2 million and was almost offensive in its inoffensiveness. And this score by Lee Holdridge is equally uh, inoffensive. And number nine was this. Film that made a star of Kevin Bacon, I suppose. So Footloose grossed £2.3 million. Pounds. Bait. Not a good film by any stretch of the imagination. Next, next season I'm choosing the 1880s. Story of a boy who moves to a town where dancing and singing are banned. Perfectly plausible. And guess what? He sings and dances. I thought, actually, the idea of the interloper shaking things up in a whole town was done far more effectively 14 years later in Pleasantville. Much better film. Anyway, uh, this song by Kenny Loggins was a big hit and the film was pointlessly remade in 2011. So, a very strange affair at number eight. Uh, grossing £2.5 million, Greystoke, the legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, was the first project for director Hugh Hudson after the Oscar-nominated Chariots of Fire, which had swept all before it at the 1981 Academy Awards. Far from a box office flop over here, it's still underperformed. In the US, it just about beat Revenge of the Nerds to 15th place in the overall box office for the year. I think the problem... Uh, is the inherent silliness of the story, you know, Tarzan. I, mean, I know it's kind of a classic, but... And despite Hudson's best efforts to make it plausible, um, it looked great, particularly the jungle scenes, and a strong British cast gave the whole production a quality feel, with Christopher Lambert convincing as the untamable jungle man. But the whole thing is treated with a solemn reverence it, it frankly doesn't deserve. Um, we used to like Tarzan when we were kids because it was rollicking good adventure stuff, yeah? With stampeding elephants and swinging between trees, Johnny Weissmuller and all that. Um, bizarrely, uh, Jane the rather wooden Andy McDowell, uh, her voice was dubbed by Glenn Close, rendering her performance even more disconnected from the all-high-octane Brit thespery going on around her from the likes of Ralph Richardson, James Fox and Ian Holm. Um, and John, John Scott wrote a perfectly fine score, almost as po-faced as the film itself. Uh, this is the end credits.
Greystoke, the legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. That's John Scott's uh, score for that. Now, if there was a feeling of slight disappointment for Hudson and his movie after Greystoke, his next picture, Revolution, would become a famous disaster. OK, tissues at the ready for number seven. Grossing three million pounds and cleaning up at the Oscars. You have to remember, sometimes uh, we were we were often later with films in the UK at this point. It had been out in the US uh, earlier. Terms of Endearment: the story of a family coping with terminal illness. Deborah Winger is the wife, mother, daughter whose dying moments are almost too much to witness. Shirley MacLaine as the mother and Jeff Daniels as the husband. It was also the first of Jack Nicholson's growing old disgracefully roles for which he won an Oscar. There were Oscars too for MacLaine and James L. Brooks, the director. It also won Best Picture. The score by uh, Michael Gore. Is that not Michelle Gore? I don't know. Just about keeps the right side of sentimentality. So we'll take a break after this from Terms of Endearment. listening to the Kevin Markwick show on the mighty Uckfield FM and we are trawling through the top 10 films from 1984 
Some are better than others. The good ones are really good, and the bad ones are pretty bad. Uh, so what can we do now? We can skip over number six, a tedious uh, late entry into the Dirty Harry franchise, Sudden Impact, which grossed £3.4 million. Number five, though, was another one to put you through the ringer. Uh, Roland Joffey's The Killing Fields, an immaculate British film that tells the true story of Drith Pan, played by real Cambodian war survivor Hang S. Noor, who's left behind by his American friend and journalist after the fall of Saigon. In fact, actually, he won an Oscar for that, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, it does what, you know, what films can do best, really. Tell simple, uh, in a narrative sense, human stories against an epic backdrop. Sam Waterston is great as Sidney Schamberg, the American journalist, and there's a great early part for John Malkovich as the all-seeing war photographer. Almost unbearably tense and unbearably moving in the last reel when uh, Pan is reunited with a grateful and contrite Schamberg. It's a brave and intelligent film, the like of which we rarely see anymore, uh, which is actually a shame, really. Um, more films for grown-ups, please. And hard to believe... Well, not just grown-ups, but just films... Uh, I don't, don't get any high horse, Kev, really. Um, and it's... You know, it's hard to believe that it was a first-time director as well. Uh, extraordinary stuff. Uh, the score by Mike Oldfield is uh, equally impressive. Requiem for a City, part of Mike Oldfield's score for The Extraordinary Killing Fields. If you've never seen it, seek it out now. Um, from the sublime to the stupid, crass and ignorant, Police Academy grossed a staggering £4.5 million and was followed by no less than six sequels. Uh, I think it was one a year for the next six years. 
Oh, man. Which brings us to the top three. Uh, Gremlins grossed £8.9 million and was another part of uh, Spielberg and his cohorts ruling the movie universe. Uh, it was good knockabout fun and mostly notable for its slightly darker take on the Let's Disturb Suburbia plot that Spielberg had made ubiquitous at that time. Um, and this was certainly the influence of Piranha and Howling director Joe Dante. And the score was uh, nice and bouncy too by Jerry Goldsmith.
There you go. Jerry Goldsmith's score for Gremlins, which was the number three film in 1984, in the UK, I might add. Uh, in the US, where was it? Let's have a look. Uh, number four. So, at number two then, grossing £9.2 million, Indy was back. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was the second outing for Harrison Ford's all-too-human hero. Uh, Spielberg decides to go back to before the first film and tell an altogether less entertaining story, set in India, uh, and some stones and stuff, who knows, I don't know, uh, because you couldn't make us make out the story, actually, over the future Mrs. Spielberg, Kate Capshaw, uh, and her harpy-like squealing all the time, quite honestly. Uh, the chase in the mining carts was good, though, as was the opening number. This was a lot of fun. Anything goes. 
Ah, that was great fun, isn't it? That's Kate Capshaw from the opening credit sequence of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, singing Cole Porter's Anything Goes. Now, that was the number two film in 1984, so the number one film was... Yes... Ghostbusters. The much-loved knockabout comedy is pretty much beyond criticism. So unless you want to come across as a miserable, sour-faced old curmudgeon... And I'd never want that to happen. Ivan Reitman directs with an assured fast pace and Bill Murray has the defining role of his career. Ghostbusters grossed a stonking £12.4 million and meant that we are forever stuck with this. Ray Parker Jr., Ghostbusters, the number one film in the UK in 1984. So what was number one in the US? Let's have a look. Oh, Ghostbusters! Then Beverly Hills Cop. Why didn't that figure? Maybe it came out later, you see. We were a lot further behind in those days. Uh, Karate Kid. Oh, dear. Uh, Star Trek Three, which did appear in the... Um, I think that's next year, isn't it? Oh, Amadeus, of course which was our biggest film in Uckfield in 1984, just to to illustrate uh, how out of step we are normally. The Natural. 2010, the slight, I mean, almost successful follow-up to 2000, a film you couldn't possibly follow, 2001. At the Academy Awards, Amadeus won Best Picture, Milos Forman, Director, F. Murray Abraham, Actor for Amadeus, Owen Sally Field for Places in the Heart, and Peggy Ashcroft for A Passage to India, which actually appears in next year's chart, you see? It's all very confusing. Other notable films in 84? Oh, All of Me, we like that one. Steve Martin, Lily Tomlin. Put it in the backing ball. The film of 1984, of course, with Richard Burton and John Hurt. That was good. Birdie, no, not so good. Blame it on Rio. Oh, that was brilliant. Michael Caine. Ah, oh, Demi Moore. What a film. The Bounty, that was good. Broadway, Danny Rose. Caravan of Courage. <laughs> An Ewok Adventure. Come on, there were some better ones than that. Ah, oh, The Extraordinary Crimes of Passion, Ken Russell's film. Kathleen Turner, Anthony Perkins, and a truncheon. Hotel New Hampshire. 
yeah, Tony Richardson directed it. I didn't know that. Tony Richardson directed it. One of our favourite books, that one. Who can you call? Okay, we'll have a break now, and when we come back, uh, it'll be groovy music for the last half hour. cover that of the echo and the bunnyman song from greg laswell so just music now down to the la- uh, down to the news at, uh, what are they saying dj parlance the top of the hour with all that stuff 
how was that 84 stuff? Let me know at Kevin Markwick or on uh, Facebook at the Kevin Markwick Show. Go on, let me know, please. And if you're a podcaster, let me know as well. song for a vampire annie lennox from the end credits actually of uh 1992 the 1992 uh coppola version of dracula which is rather lovely the song I mean. now fiona apple released an album in uh 2012 snappily titled the idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will ever do 
Yes. And this is a good track from it called Werewolf. I could liken you to a werewolf The way you left me for dead But I admit that I provided a full moon And I could liken you to a shark The way you bit off my head But then again, I was waving around A bleeding open wound But you were such a super guy Till the second you get away from me We're like a wishing well And a bolt of electricity But we can still support each other All we gotta do is avoid each other Love the wrong when a song ends in the minor key Love the wrong when a song ends in the minor key We've got a couple of more tracks to go, and then it's over, unfortunately. I've It's whizzed by. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and what are we going to put? Oh, we haven't any Tom Waits for a while, have we? See, I haven't played any Tom Waits, which is uh, rather remiss of me. I'm going to play you a track from Frank's Wild Years, which came out in 1987 and was the third part of a kind of a loose trilogy that started with Sawfish Trombones and then Rain Dogs and then this one. And it's a, a lovely track called Cold, Cold Ground. Before you had to go away 
There's a bell in the tower, Uncle Ray brought around. Don't worry about the army in the cold, cold ground. Cold, cold ground. Cold, cold ground. Cold, cold ground. Now don't near cry, baby, when there's wood in the shed. There's a bird in the chimney and a stone in my bed. When the roads washed out, we pass the bottle around and wait in the arms of the cold, cold ground. The cold, cold ground. The cold, cold ground. The cold, cold ground. There's a ribbon in the willow. There's a tire swing rope. Our patch of bearers taking over the slope. The cattle sleep in the mailbox and we'll never go to town. Do we bury every dream in the cold, cold ground? In the cold, cold ground. The cold, cold ground. In the cold, cold ground. ground uh from tom waits uh we'll have a break and when we come back it's time for some velvet underground
So, as you almost certainly know, Lou Reed uh, sadly died yesterday at the age of 71. I'm not an expert on Lou Reed, but I've always been a fan, and others have spoken far more uh, eloquently than I ever could today. But he always struck me as uncompromising and honest, which are the two things I demand <laughs> from my um, from my films and my books and my television. And uh, he never once wavered. So this is one of my uh, particular favourites uh, by way of tribute from the 1969 album The Velvet Underground. This is called Pale Blue Eyes and I'll see you next week. I love you all. Sometimes I feel so happy Sometimes I feel so sad Sometimes I feel so happy But mostly you just make me mad Baby, you just make me mad Linger on
said money is like us in time It lies but can't stand up Down for you is up